Today's episode of the Watson Weekly Podcast is sponsored by Commerce Tools. The world of commerce is fast-paced and constantly changing. Commerce Tools, the global leader in commerce and creator of the powerfully composable mock architecture, enables commerce leaders to turn possibilities into reality. Commerce Tools helps businesses go from underperforming to overachieving, and from keeping up to setting the pace, all at a lower total cost. Go to commercetools.com to learn how to get started. It's October 2nd, 2023, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, FTC files suit against Amazon, Amazon to roll out Prime Video ads. Is the IPO market healthy? Shopify takes a stake in B2B Marketplace Fair. And finally, the Investor Minute, which contains five items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news. FTC files suit against Amazon. Yesterday, Sam Walton, founder of Walmart, must have been looking down from the heaven and smiling as the FTC and 17 states have introduced a suit in the Western District of Washington against Amazon. I read through the lawsuit and wanted to highlight a few things about the claims. First is that Amazon has a durable monopoly in the online superstore and online marketplace markets. The feedback loops between these monopolies amplify Amazon's advantage. The anti-discounting rules and fulfillment by Amazon businesses in particular tend to reinforce those monopolies. There's a lot to prove and unpack about these lawsuits. First of all, it's like, is the market description of this issue even the right one? Second is that there is, in fact, a monopoly going on in this market. Three, these specific tactics actually prop up the advantage of Amazon in the market. And finally, that even if all these things are true, is there enough significant harm in the market, most specifically to customers? This is all very hard to approve. And I think there are kind of three likely outcomes that we might want to consider as part of this podcast. First of all, it's like Amazon gets fined. Second of all, like maybe there's some kind of breakup or AWS goes out or Amazon gets out of the retail business and becomes only a marketplace. And third is that Congress does some kind of halfway in-between regulation of specific types of maybe price comparison or price-fixing behavior, but not other types of things. And I, I think there are a few things in this lawsuit that no one is really talking about. First of all, it's like, hello, Amazon has been literally one of the most innovative companies in the history of retail, particularly in the past 25 years. And there's a ton of consumer benefit that has come from that. Now, they have created a lot of casualties along the way, but someone has to actually point out the fact that if not for Amazon, we'd still be waiting seven days for all our parcels. Second is Walmart is like the next player up and is perhaps the largest retailer in the world and is literally running the same exact playbook as Amazon. And it's working as the second mover advantage. So there's that. Finally, like, doesn't it kind of disprove this lawsuit if players like Shein and Timu have become more or less billion dollar plus companies just in the span of even a couple of years in this same kind of online market? Yeah, maybe there are not all superstores yet, but Shein just launched a marketplace. 
They just now are an investor in Spark Group. And so they're going to be across many different verticals, not just fashion. And this happened kind of overnight. They didn't even need to necessarily participate in Amazon's quote-unquote game that the FTC is outlining here. And then finally, I'd like to make a point here. There are literally millions of entrepreneurs on platforms like Shopify and Direct Consumer that, yeah, many of them participate in Amazon, but many of them don't because they want to do business in a different way. And I think that's not mentioned here. Another thing I think that's important if you're a student of the internet, and particularly Mark Andreessen, like going back to his seminal essay, like software is eating the world. One of the things that he noticed was that internet platform businesses and internet businesses generally because of the data and user advantage tend to become power law distributions, meaning that there are one or two winners in most of these spaces and they tend to crowd out all the competition and that tends to naturally reinforce as you get more customers, you get more money, you get better data, you get better distribution, and that brings you more customers. And that tends to reinforce and you see this in market after market. Apple, Google, Netflix, Amazon. Just go on down the line. If you take out the leader, then the next person up is just going to become the next monopoly. So anyway, bottom line on this, I think this will take several years to play out. And if they in fact seek any remedy, the second and third order effects will that be interesting and will make a lot of headlines along the way. Our second story. Amazon to roll out Prime Video ads. Now, Amazon Video has always been kind of the redheaded stepchild of streaming. And it's a little worse content or maybe a lot worse than Netflix, even HBO and even Apple TV. But hey, it's free. But now you can actually have that questionable content from Amazon Video and served with a side of ads. Because in 2024, here's what Amazon's doing. Essentially, the free Amazon video plan without ads kind of goes away. And if you don't want ads with everything except live sports, then you're going to have to pay for it. That new tier is going to be $2.99 a month. It will be a subscription. That subscription will be ad-free except for live events. And that's a key point because there's no way that the NFL and Amazon are going to do forego all that advertising revenue. But for typical TV shows, things that Amazon has the rights to and, and displays as long-running shows, that will not be part of this. And so I guess I have a couple of comments here. First of all, you kind of saw this was coming for a few reasons. One is like advertising revenue is entirely too valuable to ignore. And second is Amazon's advertising business needs fuel. And what's the fuel for Amazon's advertising business? That's actually surface area. And surface area meaning all the content that is out there, how many commercial breaks can we have on these programs? How can we target our buyers one-to-one rather than previous linear TV commercials where targeting was a lot harder? Amazon will give advertisers a lot more programmatic information and potentially target to these viewers better, which would allow Amazon to actually charge higher rates for these ads. And so I still think Amazon overall is clearly going to be a net winner and keep growing in its advertising business. But I think relative to Google, Meta, and even TikTok, Amazon has a couple of big problems with this advertising business, period. And this is really for the long term. One is players like Google and Meta actually have more surface area to display ads in Amazon because those ads are displayed on consumer-generated content, not necessarily studio-generated content. And also, second... TikTok is actually the one getting all the user attention and growth. 
And so I think both of these things actually need to swing in Amazon's direction if it's going to crack the top two spot on the advertising revenue game. And I think like, look, from an Amazon video point of view, I've actually kind of resigned myself that, you know, many years ago that everything like ads are going to come back to everything. This is our future. And so I think many viewers will actually make the same calculation as I have in this regards. Our third story. Is the IPO market healthy? Now, I've been hearing it and like looking at Scott Galloway's podcasts and some other things, actually some grumblings around recent IPOs and the popular press. And I thought it would take a moment to give my take on this. And I think the grumblings go something like this. Well, after these IPOs, the valuations have come down to earth. In particular, significantly down from their previous private company valuations. Kind of point two is that the IPOs, like sure, they popped on the first day, but many of them are actually now trading below their initial prices. And so as a result, ergo, these companies should really stay in the private market and IPOs are something that they should forget about. And I actually kind of think this argument is a little bit of a load of crap. I think the private market valuations, first of all, were actually only based on a combination of a number of factors. Number one, hello, access to easy money, zero interest rate policy. Second is sort of the greater fool theory, meaning like when you raise money at a billion dollar valuation, all you need to do like three years later, particularly in the last 10 years, is find another investor willing to pay just a little bit more. And then they have a little bit better preference on your cap table. In other words, there's kind of always a bigger sucker out there. And that is part of what happened in the zero interest rate realm, which goes to the fear of missing out. So let's kind of get this out of the way for a second. Those days of like the last eight, 10 years, they're not coming back soon, at least in the next two to three years until we like have collective amnesia again. I predict in about five or six years, it's going to come back again for sure. But these interest rate policies, I think will discourage that soon. But I think another reason that, look, IPOs aren't going anywhere and shouldn't go anywhere is that investors need liquidity. In companies like Clavio, Instacart, they're over 10-year-old companies, which means that early investors put money in sometimes 8, 9, 10 years ago, and they're only getting paid back in the interim by buyouts of future private market investors and not the more liquid public markets. And as a result, you can't stay private forever or else not only do you have investors that are upset, you also have things like tax liability issues, which is something that really like, hello, Mr. Stripe, who and I would say missed their IPO window for about three years now. And that's something I think that the people who are kind of dumping on the IPO market right now are somewhat forgetting. Finally, look, IPO is certainly an exit for initial investors, but it should not necessarily be an exit for the entrepreneurs. An IPO is a mile marker on a company journey. It's not the destination. The great thing about an IPO, I think, as opposed to an acquisition, is that management actually can stay in control. And you can see from companies like Shopify CEO Toby Lutka, Amazon's Jeff Bezos, Microsoft Bill Gates, and Apple Steve Jobs, hello, there are actually tremendous advantages to founder-led businesses in the public markets. It's kind of like a cheat code for business Because otherwise you have these, what Toby has been very public about is like the principal agent problem is that the CEO wants to pay themselves higher and higher salary because they're kind of a hired gun. They're just sort of like another middle manager that happened to get promoted, which has a completely different outlook from someone like Jeff Bezos. 
I think another point to remember here is that about 99% of the value of Amazon was generated after the IPO, not before it. So the IPO is really has nothing to do with like the first couple of weeks after the pop. And so everyone's sort of declaring defeat on the IPO market, I think is really misguided. If your company was a flash in the pan, then maybe you kind of deserve to flame out after your IPO. That certainly happened with these SPACs. But I hope it doesn't discourage future founders to seek the public markets and to continue to execute and stay in control after them. And our last story. Shopify takes a stake in B2B Marketplace Fair. Shopify took another swing at the B2B Marketplace world by investing in Fair. What's Fair, might you ask? Actually, it connects brands looking to sell inventory into independent retailers at wholesale prices. In other words, kind of a B2B marketplace. As a marketplace, it actually needs to benefit both sides. Retail buyers are actually looking for new brands to stock in their stores. And brands are actually looking for distribution channels to sell their products through. Here are actually a few things I read from the FAIR press release on the opportunity. FAIR now becomes actually the recommended wholesale marketplace for Shopify. On the other end, Shopify POS or their point of sale system, actually their register that appears in stores, is the recommended provider of POS solutions for the FAIR community. Now, it's likely that Shopify was already kind of the preferred provider by independent retailers, but cementing that is similar to their recent QuickBooks partnership. It's actually quite good for the Shopify brand. There are also, I noticed, a lot of features coming for FAIR that have to do with the Shopify integration. This is actually a much longer list of features than I typically see as part of a typical partnership. What do I think about the deal? And just kind of warning, like as always, I enjoy the speculation. I don't have any special information. I haven't talked to anyone about the deal. Look, I think the first point is that for the POS partnership alone, this is actually a great idea for Shopify and is actually doing what no kind of e-commerce platform I've known has really done in the past. Actually, Vince Santo at the Maze Group responded to my LinkedIn this morning. He was talking about Salesforce and Demand were doing a partnership with Tomax in the past for mobile POS. That actually went nowhere. But I actually think Shopify has been much more successful with its partnerships, especially the QuickBooks partnership recently than others. And so it makes it more and more difficult over time for payment providers and alternative POS vendors. Think about players like Lightspeed and Predict Spring. Are you going to really partner with Shopify knowing that they're coming for your business as well? It's going to be harder to make those partnerships. This is similar to the way that alternative checkout providers have very hard time to partner with Shopify anymore. They have to move to adjacent categories. These are providers formerly like Bolt and Bold, etc. I think there is values alignment between Fair and Shopify. Both support independent retailers. And in particular, this deal is actually about Shopify's point of sale system. I think whether or not actually Fair does a fantastic job or not, they, meaning Shopify, now has access to a lot of retailers that they didn't before, and it should be a great sales channel for them. On FAIR in particular, I hear, like, I would say perfectly generously, extremely mixed reviews about FAIR from brands that I speak with. I think the expense, like FAIR takes something in the order of 25% of your sale, which is like pretty large from a marketplace point of view. And you know, for anyone not named Amazon, that's a big number. 
I think service levels have also been something that I've seen consistently been a problem for brands. Ultimately, I think over the past few years, I imagine that COVID and the end of COVID has not been kind to fair. In particular, if you look at the fact that retailer cash flow, particularly independent retailers that aren't well-financed, their cash flow is restricted, which means that they actually have less money to spend on inventory. Some Most retailers are actually overstocked or woefully understocked. And it's very hard to find that middle because of demand planning is so difficult. Finally, can we talk about the fair valuation for a second? This is an important question. In May 2022, fair was actually valued at about $12 billion post money. Just think about that for a second, $12 billion. What do you think fair was actually bad from a revenue point of view? I expect that fair's revenue was something actually much closer to something like $100 million or so. And so the current valuation would actually be quite a bit, i.e. like tremendously less than that $12 billion number. I think another point here, and I think that could be contributing to the fact that there is likely a lower valuation, like they haven't published like what their new valuation is, just to make everything clear. And this is all speculation on my end. Under the radar news on FAIR that I've seen and several people have sent to me, and it's, you can literally Google it, just type in FAIR lawsuit. There've been a lawsuit with Tundra in the past year. I think any, look, any kind of lawsuit actually makes it more difficult for you to raise capital. And I think this could be another reason that the valuation is likely on the lower side. So let's do like a little bit of math here, like Watsonian math. If let's say FAIR is not worth $12 billion, let's say it's worth like $1 billion. And so we're like back in valuation reality. You know, let's say that's a 10x multiple on $100 million in revenue on probably mixed growth. I mean, the, the company could be going sideways. And clearly they needed money again, or else why would they ask Shopify to invest? I mean, clearly the partnership is valuable. I would expect that Shopify like, doesn't want 2% of a company for investment. That makes absolutely no sense for them. I think the, the minimum bar for Shopify equity stake is something like 7 8%, maybe even as high as 10 12%. That would put Shopify's investment in the range of, you know, probably say $80 million to $120 million of money that they put into this business, which again, for someone Shopify's side, it's kind of like couch money. You know, stuff you find in the seats of your couch cushions here. And look, Shopify has made investments in actually the B2B marketplace area in the past. This is kind of my next point. Remember Handshake? And I think it ends up like really the only thing they got out of that was temporarily they had a New York office. It was their first New York office, I think, came from Handshake. And also one of their heads of product, Glenn Coates, got out of it. So there's that. You know, welcome, Glenn. One of the points that I wanted to make, particularly around the upcoming roadmap, it could be that if you think about this, like why are there so many features that have been promised in this integration? I think that Shopify stake could be larger than we might expect. And the reason that might be true is, well, if the valuation is lower and Shopify stake is higher, then it will actually give Shopify more input into FAIR's roadmap. Kind of my last point here is that at Shopify's terms with the FAIR marketplace, again, if you're charging for particularly for the first order, something like 25% of GMV on the sale from FAIR, if you're a Shopify merchant now, when they roll out this partnership from the Shopify end, do you actually get more favorable terms than that? I think it's extremely likely that happens. I think Shopify investing in its partner ecosystem has been a theme in its entire history. And Shopify takes a peek at almost pretty much any e-commerce venture deal out there above $100 million in valuation at the right valuations, this not only fuels our ecosystem, but also makes a lot of sense. 
Hey, Watsonians. Did you know that a new range of Alexa capabilities were announced by Amazon? If you were in our online community, you would. To stay on top of what's going on in e-commerce and join the conversation, visit community.rmwcommerce.com today. Now a word from our sponsor, Commerce Tools. When a multi-billion dollar beauty brand's e-commerce platform near the end of its life, the entire business was at risk, including the ability to serve customers. By switching to Commerce Tools and embracing a more flexible mock architecture, the retailer's vision for connecting in-store and personalized shopping experiences became a reality. The brand can now roll out new features within days, securing its position as a modern brand that uses technology to its advantage. If you're being held hostage by your technology platform and your developers have thrown up their hands, tell them to start a free trial at commercetools.com today. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have five items on the menu today. First, Shop Circle raises $120 million Series A. Shop Circle acquires and operates a series of e-commerce software as a service or SaaS businesses, and they're actually the largest SaaS aggregator that I know of. This $120 million Series A funding will be used to build AI-driven consulting solutions. Second, Amer Sports confidentially files for a U.S. IPO. Finnish sporting goods manufacturer Amer Sports, which is over half owned by Hong Kong-listed Anta Sports, has confidentially filed for a U.S. IPO. A potential 2024 IPO would raise up to $3 billion for Amer Sports to grow its global retail footprint. Third, footwear brand Birkenstock files for an IPO. European footwear brand Birkenstock, majority owned by L. Catterton, has filed for a U.S. IPO. The company has websites in more than 30 countries and likely will use some new funding to open retail locations and new global markets. Fourth, GXO Logistics to acquire PFS Web. Contract logistics provider GXO Logistics has acquired luxury fulfillment platform PFS Web for $7.50 per share or an all-cash deal valued at $181 million. GXO Logistics will focus on the growth opportunities in jewelry and collectibles, activewear, and CPG. And finally, Parade's capacity management platform raises $17 million. Freight capacity management platform Parade has raised a $17 million venture round. The new funding will be used to build features for freight brokers and to more easily book freight from conversations. But seriously, folks, does the world need another freight booking platform? I think my count is up to like 274 of them. And today's final word of the week for the October 2nd is lawsuit. It's hard to ignore the fact that government and big number of state attorneys have filed their monopoly lawsuit against Amazon. Let's be real. Amazon has brought the retail world a tremendous amount of innovation and also created many casualties along the way. However, these casualties were actually not necessarily different than what retail used to look like when Walmart was the big bully on the block. And I think likely Walmart is the biggest beneficiary of a lawsuit like this. Predictably, I think Amazon responded with like a 300-page note, which is actually they sent out like five minutes after the lawsuit dropped. And I kind of laughed when I read this because I think it's pretty obvious they've been writing this note for about the last five years. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. 
Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. The show is produced by Jose Baez. Production manager, Gabriela Montequin. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.